أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد So the last thing that we talked about is what a person is supposed to say in their ruku'ah. وَلَيْسَ فِي ذَلِكَ التَّوْقِيتُ قَوْلٍ وَلَا حَدٍ فِي اللَّبْثِ That there is, uh, according to the Maliki Madhab, there is no um, appointed uh, thing that a person is required to say, uh, nor or, or even for that purpose something that we can strictly say sunnah. So when you say sunnah, the word sunnah has a meaning uh, depending on what the context is. So in general, there's a sunnah which is the like normative practice of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a particular matter. But like when you're dealing with the rulings of fiqh, um, something can be far than it's also a sunnah in the in the first sense that we mentioned. So praying five times a day is the normative practice of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But we don't say that the five daily prayers in the context of like learning the rulings of fiqh is a sunnah in that sense. In the general sense, of course it is. But in the in the in in, in at least the, the 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 terminology of the Maliki school or the books of the Maliki school, generally Sunnah is re- reserved for those actions that are uh, recommended so highly that the act uh, in question will be considered deficient, although still valid without it. The thing that's far is the thing that is w- without it. The act is invalid. But when we say sunnah, we say that something that is very highly recommended, so highly recommended that the act in question is deficient without it. It's worthy of being repeated because of its deficiency, but it's still valid. It's not required to be repeated. And so in that sense, uh, saying any particular thing in your ruku' is not a sunnah. Uh, although we mentioned the, the last week the <coughs> mild recommendation of tasbih in general uh, of the the exaltation of Allah's transcendence uh, and in particular the expression subhan rabbil azim subhan rabbil azim bihamdihi transcendent is my lord uh, the magnificent and to him be praise uh, or by his praise and uh, so the what we're saying now is that there's not any specific thing that you can say is a farther a sunnah however to say in the in the ruku there's a mild preference for this statement and generally when we teach kids how to pray we say okay say this now why because to leave things open-ended for some for, for like a child who's learning may not be the best way of learn, teaching them you know at that time but uh, theoretically if the person said nothing in the ruku the prayer is still valid or if the person said something else you know subhanallah or you know said something else in their ruku uh, 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 in in terms of Allah's praise or glorification or magnification it would be it would be uh, sufficient and he also says that there's no uh, 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 there's no like limit for time the minimum amount of time that the ruku has to be is enough for a person to like come to come to rest to stand still for a deliberate moment so we know like for example if you toss like an object in the air uh, there is one instant for which it's frozen. It's neither moving up or down, uh, but there's no deliberation in that. There's no, you're not, it's not a deliberate thing. There's no intention in it. A person should intend being still for at least a moment, uh, uh, and that's the bare minimum. What's the point of mentioning that? 
like if you have to pray on a plane or if you do, if you have to you know if you're in pain somehow or if you're uh, uh, you know in some sort of like really dire rush uh, a person should know how to pray the salat uh, in a way that that can safely land it with you know while it's still valid and I mentioned this from before this is a misconception that somehow if your salat is not long that it's bad there's a way of praying relatively quickly and you pray properly. It has to do with your intention. It has to do with your concentration, your focus, your humility, and all of these things. Sometimes finishing the prayer quickly is actually something that you need to do in order to maintain, maintain your, 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 your khushu and khudu, your humility. Because if it takes too long, the stresses of other demands that a person has externally going on around, um, they may actually themselves uh, uh, you know, be toxic to the prayer. So at any rate, uh, uh, the, uh, the there's no a person could theoretically just stand you know stay still in ruku for a moment and then come out of it without saying anything at all, or a person can have a long ruku if they wish to. And some of the fuqaha they say that the qiyam, the standing of the prayer should be longer than the ruku or equivalent to it, and the ruku shouldn't be longer than that. And then afterward, the sajda and whatever there's a hierarchy in how long a person should take in all of these things. Um, but uh, from the the indication from at least the the, the, the words of the um, the author of this text indicates that he doesn't have a preference for that. Yes. So when you're having intention within the ruku, does that stem back to the whole intention before the prayer starts? Yeah, I mean everything you have to do through intention. What I meant by by intentionality is meaning you have to intend to stop for a moment. You can't just like do like a bounce. But yeah. then the whole prayer have intention within each motion. Then. Yeah. That's what I thought. Sheikh? Um, in the Hanafi school, it is actually a sunnah to do the tasbih. Um, and there's even a, an opinion here that's mentioned, from the actual, it's mandatory. But otherwise, in the Hanafi school, it's a sunnah. And there's enough nusus um, and narrations explicitly mentioned making tasbih in ruku to make it a sunnah. Otherwise, as Sheikh Hamza is mentioning, it is something which is a technical term. When you're using a term such as sunnah, um, depending on what context you're using it, it can have a different meaning, right? So in fiqh, in order to be sunnah, um, it needs a particular type of uh, uh, continuity in the life of the Prophet and some mudawama, something that was done regularly at mm-hmm. the very least as opposed to just being mandub or mustahab, right? So it is a sunnah in the Hanafi school to actually make tasbih and say subhanahu rabbi al-azim. I mean, part of that also has to do with like the, the, the difference in the technical vocabulary. So like in, in, in all the other schools with the exception of hajj, the word wajib and the word sunnah <coughs> mean the same thing. Uh, whereas in the Hanafi school, there's a, there's a differentiation between the two of them. I think there's some overlap in in what the Malikis consider to be sunnah mu'akkada into what the, uh, what the Hanafis consider to be wajib and what they consider to be sunnah. So part of it may be a little bit of that as well. Like you don't say like if a person doesn't, well, I don't know, I'm asking the question. Uh, do you say that if, if the person doesn't say subhan rabbil azim or subhan rabbil azim bihamdihi that a person is recommended for them to repeat the prayer? No. In that sense, maybe the, the technical what, vocabulary right. may be different, but the result is very similar. Absolutely. If you said nothing and you just had the motion, the salah, you wouldn't require sujud, sajjah to sahu or any type of 
you know, repairing of the prayer. It would be still complete. It would be naqis in terms of ajr yeah. and its reward, but it would be sound in terms of its ruling. Is it recommended to repeat that prayer? Um, no. So, Tumma Tarfau Rasaka, Kailun Sami Allah Huliman Hamida, Kailan Sami Allah Huliman Hamida, Thumma Takulu Lahma, Rabbana Walakal Hamdu, in Kunta Wahdaka, Wayakulu Imamu, Wala Yakulu Mumu Sami Allah Huliman Hamidahu, Wayakulu Lahma Rabbana Lakal Hamdu. And so, when raising out of Rukur, <clears throat> there's a uh, uh, there is a, 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 a narration which is brought uh, by the author of this sharh, the Fawakih al-Dawani, uh, Imam al-Nafrawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who mentions that originally in the Salat, the raising out of the ruku was also done through takbir, through Allahu Akbar. And uh, what happened was one day Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu who was um, one who never missed the opening takbir of the prayer. And this expression of not missing the opening takbir, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the, in the line when that takbir is made, but it means that you don't, uh, uh, that you don't miss the raka'ah uh, according to some. At any rate, so what happened was he was like every, any human being tied up or preoccupied with something. And then he remembered the salat and he came rushing toward it. And uh, when he, uh, in a way that's appropriate, and when he saw that the people are still in ruku, meaning he hasn't missed the first rak'ah yet, he said, Alhamdulillah. And the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, an angel uh, came to him, and uh, because they all heard his, his praising Allah ta'ala and thanking him for basically allowing him to make the prayer, um, and so the angel said, Allahu liman hamida," that Allah Taala heard the one who praised Him. And the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam repeated that. And by that time, uh, 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 Sayyidina Abu Bakr has already joined the prayer. And then when he heard the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say that, he understood intuitively, you know, uh, 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 that something that, that this thing that the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. It was connected with his praising of Allah Ta'ala. And so uh, he re- replies, Rabbana, Rabbana wa lakal hamd, that uh, oh, you are our Lord and to you is praise. Uh, and so this then after that becomes a, 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 you know, a sunnah of the prayer. It becomes the way that the prayer is, uh, uh, is, is, is prayed. And this is, uh, you know, aside from the fiqh of the issue, this is an indication of the maqam of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That uh, our mashayikh, they say that where the maqam of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam began, that's where the maqam of Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu ended. Uh, that there's no gap, no gap between them except for nubuwa. That's the only thing that was left for him radiallahu anhu after that. And uh, um, you see some sort of indirect engagement even with the process of revelation. It's indirect, but uh, this is something even the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentions about Sayyidina Abu uh, Sayyidina Umar anhu, whose maqam is less than that of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. That the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam described him as muhdath, that he's the one that that he doesn't receive the revelation, but when the revelation comes down, he he feels some effect from it. And so one of the teach one of the things one of our mashaykh said, he says it's like if you put like a, a cell phone on top of a radio. 
like just a split second before the, the cell phone actually rings, the radio starts to hiss. Uh, uh, that, that, that these were people that were so in tune with the, with the higher realm that it used to, it used to affect them. And so this is, this is something that a person should you know, understand that, okay, fine, we said that after the Prophet وسلم, nobody's infallible. That's, that's, a, that's an aqidah of ours. However, for a person to strut around and think that, you know, that, that Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar anhu, anhuma, or, or really the Khulafa Rashidun or the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in general, that they're just like normal, normal dudes like, you know, you and me, it's you're kind of missing the point a little bit. Uh, that they, they, yes, they were humans and they were not prophets and they were fallible and etc. But like, you know, it's the same thing as saying like, you know, like I play ball and Jordan plays ball, you know. Yeah, kind of, I guess. You know, I can stick my tongue out as well, but, you know, when it's time to dunk, you know, you'll see what the difference is between one and the other. And yes, he's not infallible. I'm sure he's missed a shot sometime or another in his life. But, like, it doesn't happen very frequently. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to not, not, not appreciate that would be somewhat, somewhat uh, silly. Um, and so we have, we have four possibilities <clears throat> that are narrated in the Athar of uh, what a person can say when they, when they raise out of the out of the uh, ruku'ah. Allahumma rabbana wa laka alhamd. Allahumma rabbana laka alhamd. Rabbana wa laka alhamd. Rabbana laka alhamd. And uh, from reading the, the different shuruhat, it seems to me the, the preference is indicated for rabbana wa laka alhamd. All, all four of them are, are, are attested to through, uh, through uh, narrations. And then finally, there's a, a, a mas'ala or an issue of, of who says what. And so, according to the Maliki school, the Imam will say, or sorry, a person who's praying alone will say both. They'll say, Sami Allah liman hamida, and thereafter they'll say, Rabbana wa laka alhamd, or any one of those four uh, uh, combinations that we mentioned, right? Zubair, they pay you a lot of money at work. What's the difference between a combination and permutation? They don't pay you that much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Difference between what? Combination and permutation in math. The permutation, the order is, is, is important, whereas the com combination, the order is not important. So what they call a combination lock is actually a permutation lock. Uh, that's my, the phase of my math teacher from 10th grade flowing through me. Uh, uh, um, and so, and so the, 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 the person praying alone will say both Sami Allah liman hamida and Rabbana wa lakal hamd, whereas the Imam will only say Sami Allah liman hamida and he won't say anything else. And the ma'mum, the, the, uh, the follower, will uh, only say Rabbana wa lakal hamd, and he's not going to say Sami'a Allahu liman hamida. And I know in the different schools there are different rulings with regards to those things, but inshallah, I'll let the uh, uh, Sheikh Musa and Sheikh Tariq inshallah uh, weigh in inshallah. Yeah, it's um, <coughs> similar in the Hanafi school that there is a distinction between who says what. And mashallah, I think this is one of the beauties again of fiqh, right? You don't get that necessarily from the hadith. You can't deduce that. Um, or the, 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 the layman or the regular reader wouldn't be able to do that from the hadith. If anything, there's a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari where he states um, that the Prophet Right, that he said both. So then someone may argue, right, then why doesn't the, the Imam say both? Or why doesn't the follower say both? It's very clear that the Prophet said both. So then that's where the, the discussion comes. Well, this was when you're praying by yourself. As Sheikh Hamza mentioned, for the one praying by himself, he says both. Right? But in Hanafi school, the Imam yaktafi bihil imamu. The Imam will only say the tasmiyah, which is the semi Allahu liman hamida. And then 
So this this uh, statement, uh, 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 there is a hadith about about it that uh, um, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he heard someone praying behind him say this, and then he uh, he uh, after the salat he marveled and said that one of you said something so beautiful that the la- the angels raced each other to write it down. Uh, um, and uh, uh, you know, uh, he confirmed that that, that was an, a good thing that that person had done. Uh, however, uh, however, in our school, it's not considered a sunnah. It's considered something that happened and it was good, but it's not the normal practice of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And this is one of the one of the one of the you know, this is one of the discussions of fiqh, which is that is there a difference between the sunnah and something that you read in a hadith? Even if the hadith is sahih and we know it comes from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there are many things that are narrated that are not the regular practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And uh, which things are which, those are, those are not exactly clear and the different fuqaha have different methods to ascertain what those things are. So I know in the Maliki school it's not considered a sunnah, I don't know in the, in the Hanafi school is it or not. It is not. Yeah. But maybe in some of the Athari schools in which they, they track the, the, the Bahir of the Athar uh, closer in their rulings, maybe it's like that. I don't have training in those schools, so I, I don't wish to comment, uh, even though I don't uh, disparage whoever follows them. But it's definitely not considered an, the normal practice of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, which is considered the superior way of doing things. Uh-huh. But it's, it's allowed to say. It's allowed to say. It's yeah. definitely allowed to say. And even... Um, one of my teachers mentioned when covering it that in the nawafil you can like do all that. And another kind of side point about that was a proof that you don't always have to have a direct, um, you know, a directive from the Prophet to do something that's religious. So the companion, he said this without ever hearing it from the Prophet That's what's understood from the context of the hadith. And then the Prophet asked who said it and he approved of it. So after that, yes, you have the taqrir and his approval and you can say that it's like established by him. But prior to that, it was not. So had that been something, you know, blameworthy to do, that you did some type of dhikr, right, that wasn't mentioned by the Prophet right? The Prophet would have reprimanded him. You, you shouldn't have said that because I never taught that to you, right? But it was within the realm of what dhikr is. So there was nothing, there was no problem with it, right? So, um, again, people will say, well, the Prophet established it and it was okay. That's after the fact. So it's wajib for a prophet to reprimand any of his followers for doing something blameworthy. And had doing something on your own been blameworthy, then he would have reprimanded him. That's actually one of the proofs shown that you can make dhikr that was not like mansus or something like that. One, I mean, one of the things I'll add also is uh, uh, this is a part of the whatever interpretive methodology uh, of the of the fuqaha, uh, uh, the usuli fuqaha, is that you know there are many things that may be narrated in a hadith that they don't consider to be a sunnah, therefore they're not described in the books of fiqh that you should do this or you should do that. Um, but uh, uh, oftentimes, 
uh, uh, like Malik, a lot of these narrations, just like Sheikh Musa said, he'll say, just do them in your nawafil. Do them in your nawafil. Even the, the quality, yeah. opinion of other madahib, yeah. what yeah. used to say. Yeah. Sometimes, he, you know, do the rough on yudain, you know. <laughs> Maybe pray some saddle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, man. If I, ca- if I catch you, though, I'm going to take a picture and put it all, <laughs> over, all over the internet. Yeah, man. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. So, uh, um, so he, 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 the, the, he says, uh, Rabbana that a person should come up and they should uh, stand up straight uh, at peace and completely, uh, uh, completely like at rest. Uh, and so, one of the reasons for this uh, ziyada of this word mutarasilan. Uh, this mutarasilan means that you should be very, uh, uh, you should be very deliberate, uh, and just like relax for a moment when you stand up. And this is one of the things I see this like children, or adults who are in a rush or who are heedless. I've suffered. I've even seen it with people who really should know better. But oftentimes these things are habits uh, uh, that a person does so often that they then become. Uh, uh, heedless of the fact that they're even doing them, you know, they're not even doing them on, on purpose anymore because they become their they, habits from the times that they're 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 very young. Um, that a person will like from ruku, because in the standing you don't really say a whole lot, so they'll just kind of like bounce in and out of it, right? Instead of that, stand up straight, just pause for a second. That itself, the tarasul in 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 standing itself is considered from the mustahabat, from the recommended. Uh, uh, I should I, I shouldn't say actually it's wajib. It will, you'll invalidate your prayer if you don't stand in that that position for just a second, and then to add to it to just deliberately pause for a moment just to make sure that you're like that is is recommended in the salat. Uh, 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 but to be clear, if a person doesn't pause in that standing uh, posture, that's one from the hayat of the salat uh, that are, are are wajib that a person has to do that. I mean, you can't you can't just skip it. So it's like one continuous movement. Yeah, it should. It cannot be a one continuous movement. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. Uh, uh, so then a person should go straight into sajda, and they shouldn't sit on the way to sajda. Uh, but, uh, that a person should say Allahu Akbar while they're falling into uh, prostration. Uh, 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 so then he describes how the sajda is supposed to be. So he says that your, your, your forehead should be to the ground uh, uh, and your nose should be uh, on the ground and your two palms should be touching the earth uh, and uh, uh, your uh, uh, fingers should be uh, facing the qibla and they should be like 
equal to your, your you know your, your hands should be equal to where your ears are or a, a little bit lower although at that time because you're on the on the you know you're parallel with the ground it's not really lower they're both like at the same height but like lower in terms of like you know the the the, the proportions of your body when you're standing uh, uh, and so he says that, that that place you know like between your shoulders and between your ears he says there's a little bit of leeway with regards to that he says that you don't and this is for men the prayer of women is different we'll mention it but for men you should it's you don't touch your your uh, uh, um, forearms to the ground rather your forearms should be off of the ground I remember I got I, as a, like in the sixth grade I went to the master of the prophet and some uncle yelled at me about this and I thought wow you know this uncle's really like insert like a word for people who are not nice but he was nice Allah ta'ala give him khair uh, and uh, give him Jannah and forgive him his sins for, for correcting that in the Salat. So the person, a man's uh, uh, forearm shouldn't be touching the ground uh, uh, um, and uh, 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 your, your uh, uh, limbs should not be uh, scrunched with your side. Rather, you should, you know, you should make a little bit of room. Uh, not, maximum, not maximum room, but like whatever is natural. Uh, a moderate uh, uh, room, the angles between all of your joints that bend shouldn't be uh, 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 what you call, they shouldn't be uh, uh, retracted so much that they're touching each other, but they shouldn't be extended so much that they're, they're, they're at maximum ex extension, but whatever is anatomically comfortable for you. Again, this is the description of the prayer of a man. Uh, and your uh, feet should be such that the, the soles of your feet are uh, perpendicular to the ground uh, and your toes, especially your big toes, uh, your big toes should be on the ground and if possible facing, facing the Qibla. Um, for the sajda of a woman, uh, she should have her body uh, uh, like basically drawn in as much as possible. Meaning the, uh, uh, the, the limbs should be re retracted toward the body as much as possible. The knees should come up into the abdomen. The, uh, uh, um, the, the uh, forearm should be touching the ground. And she should be covered as much as possible, not sprawled out. With a man, there, a man is sprawled out a little bit because that's a, a more comfortable and anatomically normal position. Uh, uh, for the body and uh, because that comfort will allow a person to focus on their salat more. With a woman, because her natural state is one of hayat, uh, or at least we're told by our forefathers uh, 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 that that's the way it should be and our grandmothers uh, would concur uh, happily. Um, because of that, she shouldn't be sprawled out. It's considered inappropriate for her to be sprawled out like that and she wouldn't be comfortable like that either. Uh, uh, and so the, the theory in the Sharia is that, that because Haya is, is obviously important for men also, so don't go and take your shirts off and post your uh, videos working out on the gym or whatever. You work out at the gym for sure, but don't, don't, don't post your videos with your shirt off or whatever, because Haya is for men too. But uh, uh, for women, it's, it emerges as a dominant quality uh, uh, more so than it should for, for men. Uh, uh, so that's a difference. So how much are we supposed to like press our heads into the ground? Because I heard it was you're not supposed to press your head. Into, you rest it across the ground, but you don't press it into the ground. But so, how will I was so, so long ahead. 
like a mark from doing such I, I have a mark too. I don't press my head into the ground. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. The okay. pur purpose of the salat is not to have a mark in your head. Yeah. Sure. Oftentimes also it depends where you're making sajda on. Right? If you're praying on carpet, you might not get that mark. If you're praying on you know, concrete, you might get a mark after one prayer. So, um, anything, anything about the other masail? Yeah, um, when we drop in sajda, mm -hmm. um, the one distinction is in the Hanafi school, you do place your knees first, right? So, Sheikh Hamza, I think very, uh, he mentioned that you don't sit down first before making sajda. And I think in the Maliki school, you actually put your hands down first yeah. before the knees, right? Yeah. So that's actually a distinction, and there's proofs for both, and it's actually mentioned here. One thing I like about this particular text, the commentary by Mullah Ali al-Qari, is he brings in some, you know, some, some basic proofs and adilla, and sometimes he'll mention other uh, aqua also. So, and he'll place his knees first and then his hands when dropping down in, in sajda. لِمَا رَوَى أَصْحَابُ sunan مِنْ حَدِيثِ وَإِنْ رَضِي اللَّهُ قَالَ رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَمَ إِذَا سَجَدَ وَضَعَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ قَبْلَ يَدَيْهِ الْحَدِيثِ وَقَالَ مَالِكُ بِالْعَكْسِ لِقَوْلِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِذَا سَجَدَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلَا يَبْرُكُ كَمَا يَبْرُكُ الْبَعِيرُ وَلْيَضَعْ يَدَيْهِ قَبْلَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ so um, that's what the fuqaha did, is they put everything, the whole body of hadith, and then based on other usul and principles, they would like deduce what would, and then be consistent in how they derive something. Uh, you know, we know this in academia, is like if you make an argument, it doesn't have to be the best argument, but better be consistent, otherwise it will be deconstructed and destroyed. Mm -hmm. right? So consistency is important. And the madhab is about a methodology which is consistent, so you come to the same conclusion every time when you're faced with certain proofs. Right? So that's that's one distinction that I was I, I noticed. Um, the 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 sajda of a woman is also different in the Hanafi school as well. And the basic over you know underlying principle is that it will be whatever is astar and and more um, uh, modest and will the, the women will also observe. So the sajda for the men they will also like make sure they're also extending their arms, um, but also it should be moderate. Right, so I, I remember very distinctly learning this, right, you know, you, all of a sudden you learn something new and being like a fresh new Muslim or something like that, or like I'm trying to like show that I know the, the hadith, right? And then like in the prayer, it's like if you're next to the brother next to me who just learned it also with me and we're like, we're like battling for position, you know, like I know the hadith better than you, right? And there was one time, subhanAllah, I still remember this very vividly, there was an elder who I prayed next to and I stuck out my elbows and he moved his elbows in. And it just kind of clicked at me at that moment, you know, maybe I shouldn't be like trying to like elbow this guy next to me and maybe I'd, I'd rather make space for my brother, right? So in the, in the prayer in Jama'ah, especially if it's crowded, it should be like, it should not be in a way where you're trying to maybe when you're by yourself, it might be a little more extended. But in the Jama'ah, it should be much more um, restricted, um, although not all the way in, but you shouldn't be, you know, elbow elbowing someone, right? What time is the Salat, by the way? The iqama, does anyone? By the way, I told you guys that Sheikh Hamza will always throw in some type of a, uh, you know, some type of a reference from like way back that you, some of you guys might not pick up, right? So he talked about, he referenced uh, 
Jordan. That's how he knows his traditional scholar. Yeah, yeah. He mentions like the you know from way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Right, he doesn't talk about these new school players. Right? People, people are like he talks Le- about pe- pe- people are like LeBron is better than Jordan. I'm like that's not even mathematically possible. I haven't watched the NBA in like do two decades, but like n- nobody's better than Jordan. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not even gonna hear it. So, but I recognize how like people like you guys like you know to you like hearing Michael Jordan is like hearing Wilt Chamberlain like it must have been like some guy like way back in the day, but like you know. Yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah. You know, back to more to, to better things. You know, we're learning about the, you know the permutation of the actions in our prayer. Yeah. Because it's not a combination of actions, right? It's not a combination <laughs> permutation. You do it out of order, then uh, the fukaha are going to come for you. Um, <laughs> what time does do you? We got seven minutes. Seven minutes. Yeah. So inshallah, maybe maybe uh, another thing I wanted to mention was that there's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's narrated in Bukhari and in other places. Sajdatu ala sabati a'lum that the sajda is on seven bones. And uh, uh, the seven are what? They're the, the, the references toward your, your feet, your knees, so that's two and two, so that comes out to four, and then your two hands, and that comes out to six, and the seventh is your forehead. And uh, um, however, uh, that is a recommendation for how a person, obviously the nose should be in the ground as well. Uh, that's a recommendation for how a person should make sajda. My recollection of the Shafi'i school, and if anyone hears this and wants to call it out or whatever, I'm not a faqih of the Shafi'i madhab, so you're more than welcome. My recollection is that uh, uh, because the number seven is mentioned, they say that a person can uh, either put their forehead on the ground or their nose. Uh, in the Maliki school, the wajib part of the sajda is if you were to take a, 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 make a circle from the two eyes, uh, that some part of that should touch the ground. Even if a person were to theoretically, for example, make sajda like just on their face, as long as some part of that is touching the ground, the sajda has been met. Although your prayer is freakish and like wrong uh, for other reasons and fiqhs and everything, but that's what that's how you basically hit the minimum check for the sajda. And the akmal, the perfect or the the best, most complete form of it is that what that you should have uh, that you should have your your face and then the other six. Uh, uh, things that were mentioned touching the ground at all times during your sajda as well because I see people like lifting their, their toes off the ground and uh, dallying around and whatnot or uh, you know like maybe your scratch you scratch your like side or whatever uh, um, that make sure that there's some part of the, the, the sajda for at least a deliberate moment that all seven are touching the ground so that you can receive the, the barakah of your sajda the sajda is the time in which a person is closest to Allah Ta'ala and it's a gift from Allah Ta'ala that we have this uh, um, and there are many different milal that they don't have this form of worship or that it was taken away from them. The Yahud, they had it in their old school. I remember I actually heard this from a rabbi. He says, you see how you guys do this thing? He said, we used to be able to do it in the temple also, but we haven't done it since then. So imagine your milal is for a thousand years or for, for so many thousands of years. Allah Ta'ala took sajda away from you. How, how uh, horrible would that be? Uh, 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 that this is a great, it's a great blessing that a person can drop into sajda, like Sheikh Tariq did one day, you know, in order to get his studies done, and that all of us do, mashallah, in order to get what we need from Allah Taala uh, done. So this is a proper way of doing it. It has an adab as well, and all of the postures of the prayers, the angels, they they pray that way. 
you know, there's something higher about it. It's not just that we do it because it's cool. It's literally the, the, the human being. It's the honor that Allah Ta'ala allows them to, to, to worship Him in the way that the angels worship. So it's good that a person should know the adab of the outward form of the prayer as well, and they should match it with something good inside. And so the sajda should be at minimum on seven. Your nose and forehead should be touching the ground, uh, 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 including the other things that are mentioned. Same. Have you school, you have to have your forehead. Theoretically, should slide it back. Okay. In the Maliki school, it's it's still it's still valid. The sajda is still valid if it's thin, like they mentioned the koru imama, or if it's like you know like a thin part of the like a taqiyya qalansua or whatever. It's still valid, but theoretically, a person should slide it back. I get I get I get flack from people when I wear my turban because I wear it a little bit back on my head. They're like, "You, what are you trying to look like Ayatollah Khomeini?" I'm like, "No, la hawla illa billah." Of course not. But like, what you, your sajda should touch the ground when you you don't make sajda on your turban. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, but if it's the fatwa is that if it's something thin, like a wind of the turban or a thin cloth from a hat or for the sisters like you know uh, like a, a hijab or a niqab or something like just one thin layer of cloth it's valid however it's superior to that the, 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 the head should touch the ground directly what if something falls off of you when you're trying to make the such to like if your hat comes off or your glasses or your phone falls out of your pocket then is it like a stop for a and you have to make the prayer over again or I, you know, if it's your phone, I would just leave it unless you're like afraid someone's going to steal it and it costs like too much money or whatever. But if it's your if it's your hat or something about your presentation, I mean, I think strictly speaking, most fuqaha, if you ask them, they would probably say just leave it. However, uh, uh, this is a call that I've heard from the mashaykh as well that like if there's something about you that you wouldn't like if you were to meet someone important, you wouldn't like that thing to be like. Uh, you don't like to present that way. If you can fix it in with a minimum amount of effort, then go ahead. Like sometimes this happens. Like I'm like making sajda in my hat if it falls off, right? Like just this much is not going to ruin the prayer. You know, this much is not going to invalidate the prayer. And this comes to it an issue of how much extraneous movement invalidates the prayer. And the Maliki school, as far as I can tell, has the most like liberal and lax. Uh, 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 you know, uh, answer to that question, which is that a person has to be doing something that is so involved that an onlooker from the outside wouldn't be able to tell that they're praying, uh, uh, which is which is quite a lot. You know, you have to start doing jumping jacks or something like that because, like, you're just like you know, like you know, you're just like you're in, you know, you just go like this while your other hand is still in place. You know, people will be able to tell if you're praying, um, uh, but it's different in the different schools. So. Why? Kalam on this issue. Typically, they think I'm doing yoga. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, can I ask a quick question? Sure. Um, could you just review very quickly the status of covering your head during the prayer? Is that's a sunnah? Why don't you start on this one? Because I've heard mixed things, yeah. but I don't know about the sources that I heard them from. There's a, a, a short booklet written by Mufti Kadodia about the yeah. Sunnah. Right? Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, the scholar or in the text itself, but the establishment of it as an actual Sunnah. Okay. Um, uh, at the very least, it's considered Khilaf al-Muru'ah, that you know, people against um, 
what it was manlyhood right? to like go with your head ex uh, exposed. So it's something that should be covered. I think in the in the Hanafi school, there's a little bit more uh, taqid on this issue than there are in the other madahib. Um, uh, in the Maliki school, I don't I don't recall ever seeing anywhere in a fiqh text that a person should have their head covered in general or uh, in the prayer in particular. Uh, however, the one thing that I've noticed in my travels in the Muslim world is that the traditional dress of almost no people involves that a man has his head uncovered. And uh, um, respecting respecting that fact and respecting the, the, the fact that the, the pious have a particular uh, a particular mode of dress, um, it may not be an issue of like a person receiving sin or not, but a person would be ill-advised to ignore that uh, completely. Uh, and so, I mean, one of the things I tell people, I say, look, I've never, I mean, I can count maybe on my fingers the times I've left the house with my head uncovered since I was in college. Uh, um, and part of that was uh, part of that was the realization that if I'm going to tell one of our sisters that they ha it's wajib for them to cover their head, uh, you know, at least I'll have some sort of moral authority. That being said, in terms of fiqh, it's not the same thing for a man to leave with his head uncovered because the Sharia gives that permission to a man and it doesn't give that permission to women in general. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it's there's khair in it. There's khair in it, and many of the salihin and even the anbiya ali musatusam there. Their disposition was toward hayat, toward uh, sitar, not toward showing off. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, to say that it's like not a thing in deen, I think it may be, uh, it may not be 100% fair, but also it's not something that you should go around and chastise people for. It's not, because it's not a matter of the law, it's something whoever does it for the right reason, good for them, and whoever doesn't do it for whatever reason, you know, that's also, that's also okay. Yeah. But like, you know, it's different. It's different. If you're just like coming from work to the masjid and you're going to pray, then I don't think it's that big of a problem, even at the maximum extent that you want to take it. Sure. If you're the imam and you're, you know, in the masjid and that is your work, you know, it's a little bit like lazy of you to not, you know, to not give that, 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 the, that mansib the, its due. Now, that being said, there are some people who have other opinions on this matter other than what I've said. Mm -hmm. And their opinion is such that, no, that we should... That it's not only okay that it's a sunnah that the Prophet you know, prayed with his head uncovered from time to time, uh, which is clear from the hadith. He's done it before, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, uh, you know that people make a big deal out of this, and so for that reason, you know, whatever. Okay, if that's the reason that person is doing, that's the reason. It's not really something. Again, it's something that that la yumaru bihi wa la yunha anhu. At least in our school, my understanding of the Hanafi school is that there's actually some text from the Mashaykh about it. Uh, the Sheikh uh, uh, Muhammad Zahid. Al-Kofari rahimullah ta'ala he was the, an adjunct to the last Sheikh al-Islam of the Ottoman Empire he actually felt very strongly about this that that uh, Muslim men should have their heads covered and that that, that uh, uh, you know uh, and especially just in general and especially in the prayer he wrote a short treatise about that so people have their opinions regarding those things so that opinion does exist it's not completely baseless or spurious but uh, uh, you know uh, again that's uh, just because someone expresses an opinion on something doesn't mean that that issue comes to the point where people should call each other out for for not uh, observing it that that idea actually appeals to me as well and I practice it as well but like if the imam was like had their head uncovered I would be oh look at this dude he doesn't care about the salah or he doesn't care about the masjid or he doesn't care about this that or they have their own, they have their own thing that their that their opinion is and their own thing that they're practicing is fine. 
Ya Rabbi. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulina Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.